One of the great questions of life is, what happens when I die? It's a question that keeps people up nights. Maybe you've struggled with it, even if you know the Bible's answer. And we'll be answering that question this week. But today, I want to start with an awesome truth from Scripture. You have eternal life right now. The Apostle John says, He who believes has everlasting life. Notice, he doesn't say will have. He says, has everlasting life. Paul says in Romans, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God right now. Peace. How would you define that word? Uh, the Hebrew word for it is shalom from the Old Testament. Shalom has this idea of completeness, of wholeness. Probably the best definition I've ever heard for the word is everything the way it's supposed to be. Can you imagine? You wake up in the morning and you are totally refreshed. Your kids did not come in in the middle of the night saying they were sick. You go downstairs and you smell breakfast that's been cooking because the kids made you breakfast and it's now sitting on the table waiting for you and they are all standing in a Von Trapp line behind you waiting to serve you. You, you go into work and everybody praises you for a job well done and you come home from work and your spouse says, I want you to sit on the recliner and I'm going to give you a back rub and your favorite meal is cooking in the kitchen. Everything the way it's supposed to be. Is that not your life? No. <laughs> No, it's not. But we do have peace with God right now. Now, maybe you're thinking, but why do I feel guilty then? Does that happen to you? Where you do something wrong and you say you're sorry and somebody says you're forgiven, but you still feel guilty? You hear the pastor say, your sins are totally forgiven, but you still can't shake the guilt? Uh, well, are your sins forgiven? Absolutely. Do you need to feel the guilt? Absolutely not. Then why do we still feel guilty sometimes? Why do we carry that around? Well, there the Bible is very clear on the answer. It's because we have this sin nature. We, we have the devil attacking. We've got the sinful world we live in all trying to rob us of the comfort that we have right now. But here's the thing to remember. When Jesus says your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. Period. He took that sin and died on the cross for it. So what should we do when we feel guilty about our sin? There's only one thing to do. Look to the cross and say, Jesus did that for me. For the whole world and therefore just for me. Tomorrow we're going to look at when we will fully enjoy that peace that we have right now. Yesterday we saw that we have eternal life and peace right now. But when are we going to fully enjoy it? Well, in heaven. Okay, well, what's that going to be like? I remember when I was five or six years old and I asked my mom that question. I said, Mom, what's heaven going to be like? Now, I love my mother, but the answer she gave could not have been worse. She said, well, Davy boy, and she still calls me that, by the way. Well, Davy boy, heaven is going to be like church all the time. And I thought, no, this is going to be the worst. I do not want to go to heaven. And I honestly remember praying, Jesus, I'm going to Great America on Saturday. Can you please keep me from dying until Sunday or Monday uh, at the earliest? Mom had good intentions. Uh, but as I got older and I, I got more versed in scripture, I realized that it wasn't a bad answer. 
we will be worshiping Jesus in every way in heaven. It's just that the, the preaching won't be boring, the, the, the music won't be bad, and I will have absolutely full attention. Uh, one of the most beautiful passages in scripture about heaven, describing heaven, is read at almost every funeral and committal. It's from Revelation chapter 21. This is what it says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Have you ever noticed that when the Bible describes heaven, it so often describes what's not going to be there? Why do you think the Bible only describes what won't be there? I think it's because it's what we can relate to. If the Bible were to talk about the perfections of heaven, that would be a little bit like a rocket scientist trying to explain the intricacies of his work to me in the Chichewa language. That is beyond my understanding. That's outside of my world. I don't even know the language. The same is true with the perfections of heaven. I've never been in heaven. I've never experienced perfection. So what does Jesus do to comfort us? He lists all those things that so trouble us and assures us, they won't be there. No more tears. Every tear wiped away. So the Bible tells us about all the things that won't be there and the one thing that will, Jesus. And that's enough. Because Jesus is there, we are going to be perfectly happy. Probably the best answer I've ever heard to that question, what will heaven be like or what will we be doing in heaven, is this. I'm not sure exactly what we'll be doing in heaven. All I know is that whatever we're doing, we won't wish we were doing anything else. Tomorrow, we'll take a look at how Jesus removes our fears by telling us what he does when we die. Have you ever heard people say that death is a natural part of life? It may seem that way, but that was not God's original design. God created us to live. Death is a violent separation from that original design. We know that sin is the culprit. The wages of sin is death. Deep down, we know that and that's why we are fearful about it sometimes. What will God do with me when I die? Someone once said that we are dust plus the breath of God and when we die, God takes his breath back. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes says that the dust, our bodies, return to the ground it came from and our souls return to God who gave it. So when we die, our body and soul separate and our body returns to the dust of the ground. Well, what happens to the soul? Well, the writer of the Hebrews says, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so the souls of believers will go to heaven and the souls of unbelievers will go to hell. And this happens immediately. There's no in-between time. Jesus said to the repentant thief on the cross, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And finally, on the last day, our bodies and souls will be joined together again as Jesus raises all people for judgment day, that last judgment. This is how Jesus describes that day. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. But wait a minute. I thought that the Bible says that we're judged on the basis of our faith, not on the basis of our works. And that's absolutely true. 
Ephesians says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are absolutely saved by the faith that God puts in our hearts. But can you see faith? In one sense, no. Faith is a matter of the heart that only God knows. But in another sense, yes. You can see my faith by what I do. You see, we're saved by faith alone apart from works, but faith is never alone. There are always going to be that evidences, uh, those evidences of faith in the lives of a believer. Well, we're going to talk more about Judgment Day tomorrow, but for today, I want you to go away with this. Remember that you are saved 100% by grace alone. And because of that, you're going to be in heaven with Jesus forever. So what will Judgment Day be like? Will we be standing there listening to Jesus list off all of the sins that we've committed, all the most embarrassing ones, the things that we wouldn't want anyone to know about? No, listen instead to what Jesus tells us in his word, what he's going to say on the last day to believers. He says, Come to me, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Notice how Jesus is going to list all of those evidences of faith because you can't see faith in the heart. Now, how do I know that's the case? Answer this. Did you notice what was missing in Jesus' list? Any mention of sin. Because for a believer, all of the sin in every work we do is washed away because of what Jesus did and all that remains is that good work. Because the truth is this, in every single good work I do, there's always at least a little bit of sin. I've never had a perfectly pure motive. Let me give you an example. So let's say I'm in bed, it's five in the morning and my little daughter comes in and starts poking me in the head and she says, Daddy, I eat. What is my first thought? Is it, oh, wonderful, the child that I love, she's hungry, I of course want to get up and make her something to eat because I love Jesus and I love her. Are you kidding me? No, that is not my first reaction. In fact, I'm going, are you serious? It's 5 a.m., I want to go to bed and I will ignore her. I've done this. I will ignore her until she keeps poking me in the head and I've given up all hope of going back to sleep. Then I will get up and I will get her something to eat. Okay, I think you would agree. I did it partly because I love Jesus, but partly also because I wanted to get her off my back. That is a thoroughly sin-tainted good work. However, on the last day, Jesus is going to hold that out as a wonderful good work because he's washed all the sin away from it. And on that last day, notice what kinds of works he's going to list. He doesn't say, for you started up a charity or for you gave millions of dollars to a good cause or you volunteered 40 hours a week at church. No, he lists those, what we think of as little things. Giving food, giving drink, helping out the sick, all those things that we can so often think are mundane. Well, friend, there is no mundane in the life of Christian service. One day, on the last day, my body and soul are going to be joined together and I will live to serve my Savior, body and soul, together forever. And so will you. 
Yesterday we saw that on the last day, Jesus is going to raise our bodies and we will be joined body and soul forever in heaven. So the Bible tells us that those bodies are going to be glorified bodies. Okay, what does that look like? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 uses words like imperishable, powerful, spiritual. Okay, again, what does that look like? I don't know. I've never seen a glorified body. Uh, people sometimes ask, how old will we be? Uh, I don't know, what age would you pick? Most people, when I ask that question, they pick 25. I actually had one person tell me, with all honesty, 55. So I have something to look forward to. The real answer to that question is, I don't know. Uh, we won't have age because we'll be living in eternity. Uh, do you get nervous when someone you love gives you a Christmas present? No, I don't think so. You know it's going to be great because they love you and they got it for you because they love you. Uh, the same is true with our glorified bodies. When most people hear things like the last day or judgment day, what, what emotion goes through them? For most, it's fear of meeting their maker. But let's look at what God wants us to do with the truth of the last day and how he wants us to use it. This is what he says in 1 Thessalonians. He says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And maybe just pause there for a second. Do you notice how scripture describes the death of a believer? It describes it as falling asleep. Remember, the wages of sin is death. But since Jesus took away all of our sin, believers don't die in that way. Instead, we fall asleep in this life and we wake up in heaven. From there, he goes on to describe what's going to happen on the last day. Jesus is going to come with this loud command and the voice of the archangel and, and all of the dead will rise and those who are still alive will be joined together and will be with the Lord forever. And then he closes with this. He says, therefore, encourage each other with these words. In other words, God wants these truths of the last day to be something that we look forward to. Not a fearful expectation, but an anticipation. It's like this, when I was growing up and I knew that I was going to go to Great America Theme Park at the end of the week, do you think that affected my behavior that week? Absolutely. First of all, I was super excited because I knew I had something to look forward to. Second of all, I told people about it because I was excited about going there. And finally, you better believe that I behaved as well because I wanted to thank my parents because they were giving me such an awesome gift. So do you need to fear the end? For the Christian, that's an easy answer. Because of Jesus, absolutely not. Hey everyone, Pastor Mike here with Time of Grace. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. And we'd love for this podcast to be a blessing to you in the days to come. So if you could share this podcast, subscribe so that every episode ends up in your feed, or just leave us a review, we would love more and more people to hear this message that their lives can be surrounded and blessed by the grace of God. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.